Hemophilia. Hello, fellow Anglophiles, and welcome to Anglophilia. I'm Kaylee McMahon. I'm Stephanie Callis, and today we are going to be discussing one of my favorite shows, definitely. Ditto. Absolutely fabulous. I can't say it without smiling. I'm right with you, girl. Absolutely fabulous, also commonly known as AbFab, is a BBC sitcom that was created by, written by, and starring Jennifer Saunders. One of my heroes. As the inimitable Edwina Edina, Eddie Monsoon. It also stars Joanna Lumley as Patsy Stone, Julia Sawala as Saffron Monsoon, Jane Horrocks as Bubble, and June Whitfield as Mum. All J names, dude. I know, crazy. The first three series were broadcast from 1992 to 1995. The show then returned in 2001 for a fourth season as well as a fifth season that aired in 2004. And there were also a lot of hour-long kind of one-offs thrown in there too, as well as a 20th anniversary season that returned in 2011. And then there was a perfect movie perfect that came movie. out in the summer of 2016. Uh, I want to live in that movie. I am so glad that we picked this to be our season finale because I've loved every single show that we've talked about on this season, but it has been a goddamn sausage fest. And I am so thrilled to be injecting a little estrogen into the proceedings. This is a very refreshing and much needed change of pace. Samesies. And also just hats <laughs> off to Jennifer Saunders because this is also the only show that was written by one person and created by one person. So she's, there have only been, I think, two other female writers that we've talked about so far and maybe three other female cast members. But this show is all about the ladies. It's all about the ladies. About damn time. And it's all about flawed, hedonistic ladies who don't regret anything. Absolutely. It's such a relief because I feel like most female protagonists that had been seen on television before this point had to be, you know, kind and virtuous and the model of perfect femininity. And it, it opened the door for so many shows that followed. I mean, most of the male protagonists that we've talked about on this season so far have been flawed in some way. And that's that's where comedy comes from. Comedy doesn't come from people being nice. Let's jump into the pilot a little bit because I think that it's so cool that the pilot episode of this show begins with a very hungover woman who is the star. Mm -hmm. She wakes up, there's like cigarettes everywhere, and the first words out of her mouth are panic attack, panic attack, and then she just starts chugging wine that was already left on her nightstand all night. We can only assume that she passed out and that she'd been smoking and drinking all night. And then that's the first thing that she does in the morning. And she opens the blinds and falls backwards. She's in so much tremendous pain. And it's a perfect way for her to then go downstairs to see her young daughter, Saffron, who's reading at the kitchen table. And she has to hide that she's hungover. And she thinks that she's doing a great job. But Saffron knows, oh, my mom's still drunk from the night before. And you just learn everything you need to know about that relationship within the first couple of minutes talking about Safi, she's another great example of a funny straight man mm -hmm. because she is the mortified and frumpy bespectacled conservative daughter not politically conservative but a stylistically conservative daughter of eddie who is a you know loud flamboyant trendy mess and so her way of rebelling then is to be as straight-laced and boring as possible. And mm -hmm. God, you, you feel for her so much. That pilot actually, watching it this time as an adult, 
made me very uncomfortable because at the center of this show, there are two central relationships. There's the fantastic female friendship between Eddie and Patsy, which is so iconic and so wonderful. But the other one is a very fraught and complicated mother-daughter relationship, which is not something that you see very much, especially in comedy. I feel like most things that are devoted to very tense, imperfect, uh, sometimes disturbing mother-daughter relationships tend towards the drama side but you know not everything has to be terms of endearment there's a lot of comedy to be mined from something like that absolutely i mean it's decades later and people are talking about the mother-daughter relationship in Lady Bird. like that's such a revolutionary idea to capture on film well it's such rich territory and it just doesn't get done very much because people think that people won't pay money to see stories about women which is untrue and the massive popularity of this show definitely proves that but because uh, how much stuff is about father and son like dude how yeah yeah but yeah i i was watching it and i was feeling very uncomfortable and just my heart went out to poor safi she's if you think about them like they're real people, what a nightmare of a mother oh, yeah. Eddie must you, have been. You, you can't do that. <laughs> it's really, no, I know. It was, it was very upsetting to me. And actually, at first I was like, because I hadn't seen this since I was a kid. And this is one of those childhood touchstones like Faulty Towers and Blackadder and Mr. Bean that I just have such fond memories of watching when I was like a, a prepubescent child and most of it flew over my head. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking, oh no, what if this show hasn't aged well? And what if I, like, why did I like this show in the first place when I didn't understand what it was about and it was very disturbing? But what was crazy about it was that watching the pilot, my first thought was, oh my God, these people are all horrible and I'm so glad that I'm not them. But then by the time the movie rolled around, I just wanted to fucking Pleasantville myself into that world, jump through the screen and be them and also be their best friend. And I could not pinpoint at what point that shift happened. I have no fucking idea when I changed my mind, but like... They grow on you so much. I think that maybe it's fair to say that when we're watching the movie, we can see no one wound up dead. Yeah. It's okay. It's true. (laughs) And and also, they do have kind of more moments of humanity in the movie than they do in the series, where Adina finally apologizes to Saffron, and Saffron says, I love you, and it's really, really touching. And you don't get that as much in the series. There are two moments where I think that Eddie is a really good mother. There's that one speech in the movie that actually did make me tear up, which is Mm -hmm. lovely. And then there's the part where she punches the professor that has been bothering Safi and trying to seduce her when he's married and hasn't told her. That was, not only did it make me cheer, but it made Safi, her face lit up more than in any of the rest of the entire AbFab canon. It was such a beautiful moment of, oh my God, my mother loves me and will fight for me. And that actually really touched me. I wrote it down. I wrote, Eddie just became a mom. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now, I think that it's important to say at the top, this woman does work in PR. She is mm-hmm. a fashion and image-obsessed person, which yes. is perfect for who she is. She's completely narcissistic. Everything is about status and how can she, you know, gain more popularity? How can she get more money, this and that? Mm-hmm. And she makes everything about herself. She makes her father's death about herself. Oh, yes. But Saffron, this happens in real life. Have you ever met people who maybe came from a background different from you and there's siblings and one of the siblings ends up messed up and the other is a total mother hen sure that's who saffron is saffron's the kid who decided this ends here i'm normal i swear and i'm gonna do everything right and it's also the classic case of the child parenting the parent because Mm -hmm. eddie is completely a child she throws a 
temper tantrum on her 40th birthday. She throws temper tantrums pretty frequently. Mm-hmm. And so Safi has had to pretty much raise herself and and be a grown-up from the time that she's very young. She even has several lines where she's talking to people outside of the family and saying, living with my mother has made me look this old. And of course, she, she always dresses old, but she, she exudes a very mature vibe for her age. And it is so cool that you know, by the end of this series and going into the movie, there's not one, but there's actually three separate mother-daughter relationships. I do love Gran. She's kind of senile a little bit. She doesn't really understand how to read a room. She doesn't know what the fuck is really going on from one moment to the next. Yes. And it's kind of funny to see her, for lack of a better phrase, like sort of motherly cruelty. <laughs> yeah, she's not a great mom either. She's, she's not. just sort of more traditional. She's a very good grandmother to Safi, I think, mm-hmm. but she does make fun of Adina a lot for her size. Yeah. Now, would that have then turned any other woman into the complete and total monster that Adina is? Maybe not. Who's to say? But uh, you can kind of see the trickle-down effect, and there's also the relationship between... Patsy and her mother in those terrible flashbacks. Oh, yeah. And that actually sort of puts things in perspective. It's interesting when a character comes on to a TV show and a different example of this same thing is when we meet Patsy's sister, Jackie, Mm. and Jackie out-Patsy's Patsy and makes her seem sort of normal and sympathetic by comparison. It's the same thing when you see the flashback of Patsy's mother just yelling at her and being way more abusive than Eddie is to Safi. Mm-hmm. Eddie's abuse is not intentional. It's not cruel. It all just comes from everything being about her. She's a complete narcissist. Patsy certainly abuses Safi a lot, and, and Eddie doesn't really do anything to step in. But you can tell that there is some love for her there, and you get to, like you said, you get to see it show at certain moments, and it's really great when those moments do happen. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of feel like when Patsy's going after Safi and Eddie doesn't do anything, that almost pisses me off more. Oh, yeah. Or like um, in that excellent episode where they go to Morocco and they show up at the place where they're staying and there's that old man there that starts feeling Safi up Mm -hmm. and Safi starts screaming she's terrified and they're just like, oh, that's just Uncle Humphrey. They don't say, stop molesting my daughter. (laughs) It's, It's just like, oh, that's... That's just how it is. And in that same episode, Patsy sells saffron. Straight up <laughs> sells And Eddie's like, oh, well. Like it's, it's so over the top that it becomes funny. Again, if you just pretend that they're not real, which they're not, so it's fine. <laughs> no, they're not. Oh, my goodness. Uh, should we talk about Patsy, who is my favorite? Patsy? Okay. How the fuck do we begin to do justice to the absolute icon that is Patsy Stone? I'm going to get something over with really quick. Okay. Patsy could drink any famous drunk under the table. Mm-hmm. She could outblaze Cheech and Chong. <laughs> she is completely indestructible. She is Keith Richards and Keith Moon, but she looks like motherfucking Peter O'Toole. <laughs> she is the baddest bitch. And I know that this is a British show. I know that it does have a following in America. It's like, if you know, you know. Oh, yeah. But that bitch, why are they not invited to, like, comedy festivals? Like, I go to Festival Supreme, which is hosted by Tenacious D. Mm -hmm. They've had Cheech and Chong. They've had Weird Al. They've had other famous comedy duos. And there's plenty of stoner stuff out there druggy stuff why why aren't they up there and that's not to tear the whole show down like it's just stoner humor but it has its place in that whole thing and you know you watch pineapple express and you're like 
pussies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that that's a terrible word to use, but it's true. It's like, no, 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 these, these women are so rock and roll. But Patsy, again, I, I don't know how it is in the UK if, if she's a name that comes up more often when you're talking about funny drug people. Oh my but God. I think that she kind of deserves more recognition for that, which is a terrible message to the children. I know, I'm sorry. Yeah, but, but, but I don't think yeah. that anyone would argue that she's supposed to be a role model. No. Even though she's kind of a role model. Uh, no, that's not really true. No, but the, the idea of, oh, drugs are funny and she should be celebrated for her tremendous addiction yeah, issues. But <laughs> sort of like what we were talking about with the young ones, they have their cake and eat it too and in some ways they sort of came to celebrate and represent the thing that they were initially mocking certainly the mm-hmm. fashion industry is a great example because there's such a it's such an easy target and it's so deeply funny one of my favorite episodes uh, from season one is magazine where there's yeah. that meeting where patsy who is a fashion director for a big magazine who rarely shows up to work but she is called into the office in episode five of the series and then there's a great meeting. Features, Katrina. Well. Do something on a car. What? Do something about a car. I need a new car, a nice one, no rubbish. Right. And something about our lovely champagnes. Well, we could tie that in with some glasses. A friend of mine's got a shop with some lovely glasses. Oh. And Yeah. Maybe we could do some lovely photos. What about people? You know, who's in, who's out, who's sexy, who's not sexy, who's clever, who's not clever. Right, who's in, who's out? Right, here's my list. I'll cross her off, she screwed me. I will put him in, he screwed me. Right. That, to me, as someone who is a complete fashion industry outsider and, and completely ignorant of that world, is funny because it's like, haha, that's so them. But this is also a show that is deeply loved by people within the fashion industry because they have a sense of humor about themselves and can go, aha, that's so us. Yeah. It goes back to what I was saying about, like, I don't know why I liked this show so much when I was younger. <laughs> it was funny, but there was nothing for me to specifically relate to because I also... I don't drink and I've never tried drugs. Like, I've never even had, like, a pot brownie in college. I'm completely substance-free and I'm fine with it. But I'm sure that people who do do hard drugs frequently are like, yeah, AbFab, they they love it just as much as I do because they're like, oh, that's so us. Whereas for me, I'm laughing from the outside. I fucking hope so. Yeah. I don't know. I, um, this is, you know, and this is where I'm going to be a feminist killjoy for a second. Do it. It's the fashion industry and they're women. Therefore, your average maybe dude who likes to smoke pot and watch funny things on TV is not going to be like, oh, well, I should watch AbFab. But it, <laughs> it seems like it would be perfect viewing for stoners. I don't know. But like, I've yeah. I've never been in the mafia. I love The Godfather. <laughs> yeah. You know here's, what I here's mean? What like, about why that. are male viewers so... Why are they less good at watching stuff that's not about them? Because it's not a skill that they've had to exercise. I mean, if you think about every, you know, big major novel that you're forced to read in school is by some dead old white man or still alive old white man. And that is considered to be sort of the default for what a human being is. And so I think that people who don't fit that model of identity have a lot more practice in empathy and in putting themselves in situations and being able to imagine what it's like. To me, the point of stories in general is to experience viewpoints that aren't your own and to have experiences that you haven't had while still finding some grain of truth or some common ground in our humanity. And I think that you know, straight white men in particular are sort of spoiled by not having to use their imagination to to stretch outside of what their experiences are. And so they expect things to cater to them. And that's why they get so mad that, oh, no, there's a female Ghostbusters. You're ruining my childhood. How dare there be a black superhero? Like, 
it's completely ridiculous. But um, I mean, I'm I'm grateful that I have the ability to read other people's stories and to hear and absorb other people's stories that aren't about me. Like, I would be so fucking bored if people if like if every on screen experience just reflected my own life. I would kill myself. My life is so boring. No one should ever want to read about it. <laughs> and you know what? This is something that you and I have talked about. If you could choose, would you rather have been born a man? <laughs> I always say no because of what you just described. It's like, no, perhaps this is going to sound like total bullshit, but I'm thinking, no, I'm here. I'm suffering. I'm going to leave this place a good person because I've been forced <laughs> to suffer and learn it empathy does make you more and empathetic. patience and understanding and sensitivity. And that's, yeah, for me, every time. No, no, no. I'm a lady. I'm a oh, damn can lady. I, unlike a lot of the shows that we've talked about in this first season, there's really no references to Nazis in this show, but I'm still going to make one now because my mom has made this same point. She says, I would rather be a woman than a man for the same reason that I'd rather be a Jew than a Nazi. <laughs> Yeah. So. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. Um, but we got to this conversation because we were talking about Patsy and you said, how have they not been invited to these comedy things? I had another question that came up when I was watching this, which was in episode one of this podcast, we had talked about Snatch Game. How the fuck has no one been Patsy yet? I thought the same thing. I thought Seriously. the same fucking thing. How Patsy is such an easy, such a gimme. Oh my god, if there are any drag queens listening out there and you end up on season 11 of RuPaul's Drag Race, first of all, I love you, but second of all, be Patsy. That's a, that's a free tip. I've I've been wondering the same thing because there it's are a lot so... of great weird gender things going on with Patsy as yeah, well. <laughs> lots of nods that, to the fact that she kind of already is a drag queen. Maybe the reason that nobody's done it is that it's kind of too easy because she already... She's already so over the top that, like, how do you take that even further and make it even funnier? Because she's basically a drag queen, just a woman. But I don't know. I think that the right person could really nail it. I don't know. You just do a perfect Patsy impression. Yeah. I mean, how did Jinx Monsoon make Little Edie even funnier than she already was? It was just a really no, it's great true. impression. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. All right, drag queens. If we have any drag queen listeners, which I really hope we do. Okay, but here's another <laughs> important question. Why haven't they invited those two to fucking guest judge? Well, maybe they have and they said no, because they're too important and fabulous. Which is, I mean, honestly, my big regret for my life is that I'm never going to be famous enough to be a guest judge on RuPaul's Drag Race. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> I saw Joanna Lumley sit on Wendy Williams's couch in maybe 2010 oh. or 11. So I think that she might have time for RuPaul. Okay, well, you know, we don't we don't know these people's lives. We don't know what offers have been made. I from... so wish I knew their lives. I know. I wish I could text Joanna Lumley right now and be like, "What are you doing later?" She's such a oh, she's such a goddess. I'm gonna step into some sort of sticky bad feminist territory, but this is just my personal viewpoint. Do it. I am very anti plastic surgery, just on a personal level. I think I've found a way to say in almost every episode how much I hate needles. So like, obviously, I'm never gonna go under the knife voluntarily. I don't judge women who choose to do it, but I deeply judge and loathe a society that demands that women do it in order to remain acceptable as they age, which is a perfectly natural process. I hear you. I don't plan to get Botox. I don't plan to dye my hair. I don't even wear high heels. I'm very much like, fuck the patriarchy. And the way that I do it is by being basically a crunchy, lazy hippie who only wears t-shirts. But like Joanna Lumley is the one person in whom I 
deeply approve of plastic surgery. Like she rocks it. She fucking makes it work. It's so and good. She's she's so beautiful, and she's someone that you can tell that she was also very beautiful, like in the sixties and seventies when she was in her twenties and thirties. But also at the same time, I feel like she she kind of belongs in her fifties and sixties as Patsy. She's someone that like the more work she has done, the better she looks, and the I I just fucking love her for it I don't know she brings up a question that I always kind of ask when I see a celebrity that's got you know that's gone too far with it or had Uh a procedure and you go oh no what what you know when they all kind of start to have the same like weird bloated doll face (laughs) I kind of go why don't they all go to Joanna Lumley's person Oh my god, I know. It's it's not just the quality of the work that she's had done and what you know her her doctor's clearly doing a fine job, but it's just like the general vibe and aesthetic that she has because if you think about what what's so great about her is that she the, the character and the actress sort of walk on this fine line between gorgeous and grotesque. And I'm sure that that sounds sort of insulting and I don't mean to in any way insult her looks, but like these characters on this show are so over the top. They're basically cartoons. And I think if we're talking about like equivalents or things that, that came before, this is sort of like a female answer to the young ones in a lot mm. of ways. Oh, completely. It's, it's that, yeah, it's that over the top, very cartoonish world. I mean, it's slightly pulled back in that there's not like puppets. Although they do have the cutaways that are sort of in the form of the flashbacks, which again, sometimes are very successful and very funny and sometimes go on a bit longer than you'd like. Mm -hmm. And what I love about both her and Jennifer Saunders is that they're both these really beautiful women who don't, at least within the context of the show, seem to give a fuck about being beautiful. The characters are very vain and care a lot, but they can, within seconds, they can make a turn from gorgeous to grotesque and it's it's always in service of the comedy and the character it's never they're they're not trying to be pretty and they're also not trying to be ugly in that like mrs doyle way where oh i'm going to go under some makeup and look like a completely different version of myself like there's a there's a clear line between the actress and the character but with them it's just like they're just out there living their lives these characters are just being themselves and sometimes they look pretty and sometimes they don't just like every fucking one of us yeah there's this weird pressure in the entertainment industry for women to look pretty all the time and that of course has trickled down into women's regular lives where like people will untag themselves in group photos if they don't think that they look sufficiently attractive or oh no I can't leave my house without my makeup and like I just love that these women are pretty and it doesn't matter at all if they're not. Yeah, it's one thing for Charlize Theron to transform into her character and monster and look a way that she's never ever going to look Mm -hmm. but I thought about this when I was watching the Ab Fab movie where they've been out all night at that party and then you see them looking in the mirror together the day of of their hangover and they're just kind of Mm. melted. It's almost even more embarrassing to appear like you've put a lot of time and effort into your perfect hair and your perfect makeup, but you have made a total asshole of yourself and now Mm -hmm. you're just oily and your lipstick is smeared everywhere. And for them to show that because it's, more relatable is really really cool yeah it's that lack of vanity and this is something like you mentioned earlier that a lot of the comedy coming towards Adina is comments about her weight they come from her they come from her mother they come from her daughter it's a little bit weird to me that Safi fat shames her mother so much I think she probably just does it to get under her skin because she knows that that's an easy trigger for her I kind of have mixed feelings about that it's funny because you know that Jennifer Saunders wrote it and she's just you know having a go at herself but at the same time if you fat shame yourself and you're not 
even that fat, then like you're fat shaming everybody who's bigger than you. And I think that if I were heavier than Jennifer Saunders, I would be very hurt by it. And it's still, it, it rubs me a little bit the wrong way. Well, I think that the episode fat does sort of get away with it because everything is so much about her own insecurity more than right. it's about the fact that she's fat, which she isn't. Like for the yeah. record, I think that it's very obvious that her way of thinking about her body is influenced by the industry that she works in oh, and the people that yeah. she worships like Kate Moss and Stella McCartney and right. all of the clients and all of the fabulous people. She wants to be one of the fabulous people and mm -hmm. she's always falling short somehow and yeah. it's usually because of something that she does <laughs> to anger right. a lot of people and alienate herself. But I think the fat episode is great because she's just complains forever about how she's too fat and Safi doesn't say anything mean but she's like you eat too much you drink too much and you don't take exercise right. and Adina comes back with like no I must have some kind of hormonal imbalance or a disease mm -hmm. or I need to just eat clean darling because right. it's so true people don't want to just eat less and abstain from alcohol and exercise oh, yeah. it's something that we're still doing we're still convinced oh I can actually eat as much bacon as I want I just need to make sure that I do CrossFit and never ever touch a scone yes and in a way I think that that's what makes that episode successful is because she's not fat girl that we're pointing and laughing at she's all of us Absolutely. she's all of our stubborn thoughts about self-improvement and they're obviously putting her in outfits that are too small for her and kind of yeah. emphasizing any flaws that she does have but yeah as the series goes on and she makes a comment about herself and Safi will say well yeah no one in the world is as fat as you that does seem a little bit over the top but again when you think about all of the terrible things that she's done to Safi I think I'm able to shrug it off because of that yeah I get that and one thing that is very relatable to Adina she's forever searching for the thing that's going to fix her She's jumping on board with all of these trends and like, you know, taking little bits of other Eastern cultures or whatever. And she thinks that this diet is going to make me thin or this way of chanting or meditation is going to fix my life. And and I've, I've definitely gone through phases like that where I think, oh, like I'm just existentially unhappy. Maybe therapy is going to do the trick. Nope. OK, well, maybe I'll read a lot of books. Oh, not that. Oh, I've, I've tried, you know, exercise and improv comedy for a while. Like I'll go through these phases where I'm hoping that I'll find the quick fix that will make me forget the fact that life is sort of inherently sad and disappointing. And the thing that ultimately does work for Eddie and that makes her happy is her relationship with her best friend. And at the heart of this show is this fantastic female friendship. And yes, in a lot of ways, they're terrible for each other and they just enable each other. And it's a very destructive relationship. But again, if we can just put on our little fiction goggles where nothing matters, it's really delightful and sweet. And that's the thing that makes them happy. Yeah. And that makes their life work. I think that's another reason maybe why the movie is so sweet and heartwarming is because yeah. there are moments throughout the series, because there are a lot of episodes of this thing. Yeah. And they are terrible people. Mm -hmm. But there are, you know, those occasional moments where you do kind of go, uh-oh, can't ignore how bad that was like mm -hmm. when they have the flashback to a time where Patsy's sober and she's really really happy and mm -hmm. full of energy and exercising all the time and she comes to say hello to Eddie and Eddie just hands her a glass of champagne yeah then in season four Eddie's finally working out and abstaining from alcohol and feeling great and Patsy's just so pissed off about it because now she's bored because she doesn't have a drinking buddy those moments are a little bit cringy but in the movie there's none of that yeah I mean 
Eddie thinks that she has killed Kate Moss <laughs> and Patsy is right there with her. And there's that great moment where it's accidentally revealed that Kate Moss has left her PR, but she mm-hmm. hears PR and she her whole face lights up and she runs because she has to call her best friend. Yeah. There's no competition. That's There's true. no competition bullshit. They're never competing for a man, which I feel like is a, a subject in a lot of things about women friends who are never competing each other for down. a man. And yeah. for as self-obsessed as they are, they're never like, oh, well, I'm more successful than you. Patsy's like fucking homeless. Yeah, and, she's and, just and a she, <laughs> and she never ever resents Eddie for not being homeless. Yeah, and Eddie <laughs> never resents her for riding her coattails. No. It's a very sweet relationship, and I think that that's part of what makes this such a great escapist fantasy in a lot of ways is that I I just love female friendship both as a real thing and as a subject for fiction, and that's something that we just don't see very much and that in our lives takes a backseat I think starting in like high school even to the pursuit of romance and you know the the older we get the less often we see our friends because they start pairing up getting married having babies and then you know oh we'll get together with our friend that we haven't seen in a long time and they'll bring their boyfriend along to have dinner and it's just not the same thing and there's something so great about these two perennially single women who are each other's primary relationship. It's like in Frances Ha, the thing about having your person. They are absolutely, indisputably each other's person. That kind of is the dream in a way. Like, I don't have any straight male friends where I have one of those pacts where it's like, okay, like, if we're both not married when we're 40, let's just marry each other. But I do have several pacts with some female friends that's like, okay, when we're like 70 or 80 and our husbands are dead and we're obviously fabulously wealthy somehow... Uh, we're going to live together and just be fabulous. And like, that's that's what I want. They never have a boyfriend that lasts mm-hmm. more than one episode. And even right. then, we, we don't even see everybody that they might have hooked up with. Patsy has a lot of sex, but yeah, we never see too much of the, the dude. But there is a great moment where Saffron is trying to stick up for her mother. Mm-hmm. And she's trying to negotiate something with Patsy and she says to Patsy you're gonna let mom have a boyfriend Mm -hmm. and I thought that was really really sweet of Saffron because you know while it is tragic when friends don't have time for each other anymore because of romantic relationships I also think it's equally shitty when your friend is holding forbids you from moving on which they're totally doing oh yeah but at the same time Eddie's been divorced twice. Mm-hmm. What's what's really out there? I don't think that she's going to find a better life partner for herself than Patsy. No. They do hold each other back and probably could lead maybe healthier lives, but they wouldn't have as much fun. And this is really, this show is so fun and the characters are such hedonists to the point that their New Year's resolutions are like, oh, I just want to relax more and I'm going to have more fun. There is kind of a cool thing with female friendship because men because of like homophobia and men being men like sleepovers and stuff is not something that (laughs) even like your best buddy you're not always like are you sleeping over okay which side of the bed do you want oh let's go wash our faces together like that's something that men just aren't allowed to do do in my head (laughs) oh yeah well but close female friendships are able to just sort of infiltrate most aspects of the individual's lives and they Mm -hmm. and they merge and That allows for such hilarity 
Oh, yeah. We saw it on Girls, but I've never mm-hmm. taken a bath with my friend past maybe age 10. Oh, um, yeah, no. I mean, I don't know what that was all about, but... I'd, I'd be open to it if we could wear bathing suits. Or at least if I could wear a bathing suit. She could do whatever she wants. Yeah, this show, what's so cool about it, going back to the idea about how it's such a fantasy, such a dream world in so many ways, is that while obviously this is a world that couldn't exist without the patriarchy, it was formed under the patriarchy, and there's all of these things like, you know, the the body shaming and the ridiculous impossible beauty standards and plastic surgery and things like that, but there's not really any misogyny in this show. It's just taken for granted that these women can live their lives without facing any sort of real discrimination. Any sort of discrimination that they do face is either sort of self-imposed or or trickling down through the toxic culture, again, with the beauty standards. But they're never held back from anything that they want to do because of their gender. The only men that we do meet are the ex-husbands who are barely there, you know, and don't really have much power. There's the, you know, some occasional boy toys that Patsy brings home. But there's not, there aren't really male characters. It's great. It's like a complete flip of most fucking shows. Something that I've noticed about Patsy and Edina and their degree of just not giving a flying fuck. It's in the episode magazine, I think, where Patsy finally has to go into work. Safi asks, you know, what do you do when she's, you know, oh, she works for a magazine. And it's just said right out loud that she slept with someone to get the job. Yeah. But it's like not a big deal it's not oh you only have the job because you slept with someone and he's like oh she slept with the editor and she's like i did a bloody good job it's it's, it's very much like using these terrible you know sleazy rules to their advantage what's wrong i yeah i slept my way to the top and now i have a fantastic job that i hardly ever have to go to and also when she ends up in the tabloids because she had an affair with that married mp Mm -hmm. she's ashamed of none of it except for the fact that they published her age yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. i do sort of love that it's just a world of women and it's no big deal that they're women and that doesn't get in their way it's sort of like it reminds me of like kids shows on nickelodeon or the disney channel where there's just sort of no big deal diversity like there would be a show about like a black family and they never experience racism because it's too heavy of a subject to bring up for an audience of seven-year-olds it's sort of a utopia in a way where it's just people living their lives in the bodies in which they were born and it's not about having to overcome the thing that is keeping that from being seen as normal you know what i mean right although that's the world that i want to live in where everybody can just be themselves without having this terrible thing hanging over them constantly that they always need to be worrying about and thinking about and responding to i can think of a couple examples of family matters when they suddenly but that was kind of hit you with it that wasn't a show for children that was for that was like abc right it was on tgif but i'm thinking specifically of shows like my brother and me or like the things that were specifically on children's networks as opposed to things that are for the whole family dude my brother and me was awesome yeah right i mean or keenan and kel they never dealt with racism they were just two awesome guys who happened to be black and they loved orange soda and it was great Dude, why were the 90s best? Like, why they were the this, fucking best? <laughs> and, and I mean, that that includes AbFab. Like, I don't 100%. understand why in 2018 it's like, ooh, this is a show starring women. Isn't that a big deal? Here is yet another think piece on what a big deal it is that a woman is funny on TV talking to another woman about something other than a man on TV. Or, yeah. ooh, look at black characters. They're on yeah. TV well, and there's no white people. Well, it's because they're still so rare. And but because people happened. still can't it fucking get over it. It happened. We grew up with it. We grew no, I up know. with it. I was watching Family Matters and someone 
spray painted the n-word on laura's locker and my heart broke and i knew at age seven like well fuck that laura (laughs) laura's my best friend yeah like no one fucks with laura winslow at all but yeah Yeah. it's, it's the same thing with abfab there's hardly any men. There's zero traces of misogyny. They're obsessed with how they look, but it's genuinely for themselves. It's not to attract the attention of a man. Right. They do have jobs. We, yes. we rarely see them at their jobs, but they have them. <laughs> and they're unmarried or they're divorced. I mean, can you imagine how refreshing it would be hailed as if it were just plopped into the world today and didn't exist before? It yeah. just makes me wonder... And why did that not then become a trend that we saw, like, all the fucking time? No, I know. It still, it stands as something that is unique, even though it's now decades old. But again, it opened the door for a lot of other shows with unlikable female protagonists. I mean, like you mentioned, Girls. I think Fleabag certainly owes Mm. a lot to this. Because this was, and it's not the only of its kind, but I would say it's probably the first of its kind. It's just incredible. It's so, it's so fucking delightful. Oh, we didn't talk about Bubble yet. She's such a great character. She she was like probably the reason that I loved it so much as a kid. Her face, her voice, her her fashion. She has some of the best outfits. Also, mad props to the costume designers for this show. Oh yeah. There were a lot of them, but the two women who were credited with the most episodes were Sarah Burns and Rebecca Hale who did the movie and just hats off ladies. Ridiculous oversized hats off to you. You're you're fabulous. It's... Now, I have a question for you. Yes. <laughs> At any point when you were watching this show, did you start comparing it to the world of Sex in the City? Girl, so, so much. Okay, thank God. What both shows have in common that is good is that I think that the fashion on the show is like a fifth or sixth main character. It's as important as any of the cast members, and if you took it away, you wouldn't... I, would, I don't want to say you wouldn't have a show, but you would have a drastically different show that would not have the same sort of cult following. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I actually wrote down in my notes that Sex in the City is abfab without the irony. Dude, I have the same exact thought. How, <laughs> how can that show have as much of a backstory about what PR is and about what these people do all day as abfab, which intentionally makes fun of the fact that they don't know what the fuck they're doing and they don't work? I but mean, Samantha what's... Jones has the same she just runs around saying i'm in pr and we don't know what it means samantha jones is basically patsy stone light i know and like what's crazy is that all of the other characters on the show i feel like the show isn't aware that they are terrible people obviously jennifer saunders as the writer and all of the people who are playing those parts they all know that everyone on that show is a terrible person Mm -hmm. i think that carrie bradshaw is actually meant to be a sympathetic protagonist but she's like as bad or worse she's a sociopath she's completely (laughs) fucking oh my god all of the women on sex in the city are terrible and i would never want to be their friends but i totally want to be friends with the abfab ladies yes I'm living in the wrong city, man. I'm so glad that you had the same exact thought. Oh my god, no, because I totally such did. a central theme of Abfab is that PR is vague, mm-hmm. and even they can't explain it. Like when Saffron asks, "What do you do?" and Adina's screaming, "PR!" <laughs> yes, but PR. I PR things, PR places, concepts. Lulu. No, no. <laughs> it's just as ridiculous as 
Samantha doing PR. It's like when a kid is like, I'm an astronaut. I'm going to go to the astronaut office. Or like, oh, you know, in Bojack Horseman, Vincent Adult Man, I did a business. <laughs> like, I'm a businessman who works in business. Or like Romy and Michelle. <laughs> it's like all intentionally vague. But yeah, no, Miranda as a lawyer or Charlotte working at the gallery. It's like, I'm meeting with an artist for the gallery. It's like, or what about Johnny working for the bank? Oh my god. <laughs> he had ideas they put into practice. He saved them bundles. Okay. What's, <laughs> what's really funny? What's really funny is that I didn't actually get that you were talking about the room. I oh. thought you meant I thought you meant Mr. Big, which is also completely true. I said Johnny at the bank. What do you think well, I meant? His name is John. Mr. Big's name is John and he works at like a hedge fund or something, which is all oh, in the world I, of finance that I don't said, understand. You said Mr. Big. I thought you said Mr. Bean. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, no. <laughs> His name is John. That's why I started going, what? No, 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 no. No, Mr. Big. Oh, God. Okay, speaking about, like, incomprehensible finance stuff, (laughs) another fantastically relatable moment in how Eddie is just a completely incompetent child is in the episode Poor, where she has a meeting with her accountant, and he just says, well, to start off, let's just look at the fiscal, and she goes, oh, God, I'm bored. I love that. My brain completely turns off with any sort of adult money number-related shit, and that's... Yeah, I identified hardcore with that. I was thinking about the young ones a lot while I was watching it too. And, but not just because Jennifer Saunders is married to Aid Edmondson and Aid Edmondson has a a wonderful little cameo as as Hamish. Oh, and also Edina Monsoon is a play on her husband's name, Edmondson, Ed Monsoon. You didn't know that? Yeah, isn't that sweet? That was actually, since I saw this so much earlier than I ever saw the young ones, I knew about Adrian Edmondson. Because my mom had told me that his name was the inspiration for Adina. Oh, that's so sweet. I like that. I I ship them so hard. Go on. (laughs) What I was going to say, though, was that the similarities between Eddie and Rick Mm -hmm. kind of popped up for me a lot. Also, um, Patsy and Vivian, just as far as them being physically indestructible. And just Patsy is very often angry when she's not drunk and happy. Totally. And that's very Vivian-esque to me as well. But with Eddie, she has patience for nothing. Everything's about her. She's very whiny. She goes on these rants. Yeah. The rants. Yeah. Very much reminds me of Rick. And you don't 100% disagree with them either. They're just sort of incomprehensible and incompetently put together. But yeah, yeah, no, I had the exact same thought. I thought Patsy is sort of a combination of Vivian and Mike. You know who Mike is? Mike is Magda. Oh shit, you're right. I think that Magda is kind of a successful Mike. Oh my god, no, you're so right. Oh, I love Magda. I love everybody in the magazine. I love her. I love Fleur and Catriona. I love when they show up in the movie. Catriona. (laughs) If I ever have a cat, I'm going to name it Catriona because wouldn't that be a great name for a cat? And then you could shorten it to Cat and it would be both an Abfab reference and a Red Dwarf reference rolled into one name. Oh my god, that's anyway, great. No, but they're they're so funny. Such wonderful airheads. And photos. Yes, the lovely photos. I mean, Magda, she, she comes in. I can't understand a word she's saying, both because of her very unique accent and mm-hmm. the terms that she's throwing around, but I'm also yeah. laughing. Oh, yeah. And that's that's kind of what reminded me of Mike is when Mike just barrels in, says something, points at people. I thought I thought of that. <laughs> While we're on the subject of Mike, I think that Christopher Ryan is funnier in this than he is in The Young Ones. I love Bowen Marshall. They live in Los Angeles and they're always 
claiming that they've got a project they're working on that's in a really exciting place. Yes. And they join the Church of Scientology to get closer to Tom Cruise. And they, they do all these kinds of really bullshit things to get closer to people to schmooze with them and manipulate them through those characters they have a pretty good go at los angeles in particular and americans in general no they do i love it and i do like when they come to america in a couple episodes one gay where we finally meet adina's long talked about but off-screen son serge and uh, and his even more fabulous boyfriend martin who i just adore <laughs> and then also another episode that i really love is door handle where patsy in the previous episode has fallen asleep smoking in the kitchen and so burned the kitchen they need to start from scratch and redecorate the whole thing and so Safi yells at her mother shames her into getting one thing done because Eddie is just always so overwhelmed by everything and ends up getting nothing done so she says oh I, I remember I saw a door handle that I quite liked and then she you know wanders around wastes a day with Patsy and then says oh I remembered where I saw that door handle so they fly to New York to take a picture of the door handle while they're there of course they do a lot of shopping and they get drunk and whatever and that's again it's something that I'm ashamed to admit I really relate to because you know how you have these grand plans for your weekend or for your three-day weekend your week off whatever it is and then you get the one thing off of your to-do list that's so stupid like oh I did laundry therefore I deserve a break or I'm gonna treat myself because I I cleaned my dishes it's just such a pathetic little but my god we've all been Adina at some point in that respect I love in that episode where the kitchen you know it, it has been burned down there's nothing in the kitchen and Patsy and Adina kind of convince themselves that it looks great and they should keep it as it is. <laughs> yeah, that's such a fantastic Emperor's New Clothes moment. Did you watch The Last Shout? Uh, yes, I did. After series three, they filmed like a special two episode little mini season called The Last Shout. Like we mentioned, Abfab kind of has several different endings. They keep coming back. <laughs> yeah, in this incarnation of an ending, Saffron actually ends up engaged to a character named Paolo, played by a young Tom Hollander with very long hair. He's kind of the the caricature of a bad fiancé in a rom-com. Yeah. That you would see the heroine engaged to before the love of her life. You know, she, she realizes that she's with the wrong man. Except there is no right man in this. He doesn't come until the movie. The way he's just standing next to her while she's ironing his shirts. I thought that was really interesting. How she's going off on the rants about independence and how she's strong female feminist and he's standing there watching her clean his shirt like that was really visually unsettling to me yeah you know I do think that there is something accurate about how a girl like Safi might end up in a relationship with a guy like that because smart girls and and feminist girls you know they're not too smart to fall for someone who's a complete jackass and who doesn't treat them well especially if they grow up thinking that they're not attractive They'll just be so grateful to anybody who pays any sort of attention to them, and they're very likely to fall into such traps. I say they, but I really mean we. (laughs) (laughs) No one is immune to loving the wrong dude. It's true. One of my favorite moments in that exchange while she's ironing and starching his shirt is when she says, I'm more than just a sex object. And he says, I don't think of you as a sex object. And she goes, (laughs) don't you? And he says, it's never crossed my mind. And it's terrible because it's all at once, oh, Saffron, get out, get out now, as well as heartbreaking because you see the disappointment in her face. She's found this handsome, 
hetero boyfriend. <laughs> Maybe he's intelligent. Yeah. He seems smart. He's very smarmy, smart. <laughs> it's like she finally has something that's just her own. And that means a lot. You know, there's more to life than finding a stupid boyfriend. But for someone like her, that is kind of an accomplishment. It's a big deal. She's in this environment that doesn't allow her to have a lot of freedom and anything that she can just call her own. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you, you just really, you can feel for her and it's very, very relatable. Just that feeling of wanting to be attractive to someone, but also not wanting to sacrifice who you are and what your beliefs are. Yeah, it's a it's a very delicate tightrope act, and uh, why I'm single, <laughs> among other reasons. Another thing that I really, really loved in it was there's that moment when uh, Patsy is sleeping over in Eddie's bed, and she turns over and says, oh, just a quick peck on the cheek, and then you turn over and go to sleep. And there's this weird sort of tension and they're really kind of playing up the sapphic vibes that have kind of been running under the surface throughout the whole series. And then she finally says, well, get up and turn off the light. And it's a really funny little thwarting of our expectations. But yeah, their relationship is, it's pretty romantic. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Speaking of romantic relationships, should we, is that a good transition to do fuck, marry, kill? Oh, it's perfect. Great. Let's just keep it the three, uh, Eddie, Patsy, and Saffron. I actually have two distinct answers depending on... Well, you just rolled your eyes. What's that about? That doesn't count. Well, no, I have... Here's here's the answer to this question is what's going to determine what my answer is. So we are talking about heterosexual women, and we are also heterosexual women. So in this scenario, are we men or are we ourselves? Because that's going to affect my answer. If I'm a man... I'm going to fuck Patsy because, obviously, I'm going to kill Eddie, and I'm going to marry Saffron because that seems like the only really good answer, right? But if I'm a woman, that changes things because for very unfair physiological reasons, I think that it's a lot easier for a man to have a good time during sex with a partner who is not engaged, and I think that Patsy would be a pretty lousy sexual partner to a woman Hmm. because I think that she's just too self-absorbed. She'd probably be too stoned and drunk to actually give me any sort of pleasure so in that case i would kill patsy i would marry adina and live with her in her sweet ass house and also since we know that marriage to adina usually ends in divorce if i'm a man that means i'm going to be paying alimony and i don't want to do that but if i'm a woman perhaps i can escape that and so i think that if i killed patsy and married adina then i would just sort of be the new patsy and we'd be best friends who live together and it would be great and then i'd fuck Safi. Because you know that the shy, reserved girl with the glasses who was completely sexually repressed and starved of any sort of sexual attention in her youth is going to become a total freak. That's really interesting. I did not think of it that way. Oh, yeah. I had the man answer. <laughs> was your man answer the same as mine? Tell me your man answer again. <laughs> you, you fuck Patsy. Who do you kill? Kill Eddie and marry Safi. Okay, yeah, same. That's, yeah, that's because Safi's the only one who's like a human who would be a good partner. But again, if I'm a woman, I would totally just be like asexual partners because Eddie also says that she's not that interested in sex and that's fine. We could just have a completely platonic marriage while I'm fucking her daughter on the side because her daughter would be a freak, but like a vanilla freak, which is just my speed. (laughs) You're right. Yeah. It's the girls who are, like you said, that she's hurt that she's not seen as a sex object. Like those are the ones who... There's all that tension and pressure building up for all those years. And so she's going to go crazy on the first person that uh, that gives her the time of day. And I would like to be that person. (laughs) I was really just struggling with who was I going to kill. Because you could argue 
that both of them are cruel yeah. and irresponsible and self-absorbed. But I think it was ultimately the fact that Eddie is responsible for another human life that mm-hmm. tipped the scale. And I went, you're probably meaner if you really think about the harm that you are inflicting on another person. Yeah. You could free Safi. You could free your future wife <laughs> yeah. from the shackles of her mother. And wife. also benefit from sex with Patsy because she's done it with a lot of guys. So you know she's experienced. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, could we talk about the episode sex? I love that episode so much. So they find an old porno magazine, which is already so funny. And then Eddie admits that she's had a difficult time getting in touch with her sexual side. And uh, and so she, she wants to get laid, but she doesn't know how. And so Patsy says, well, just pay for it. We'll have an orgy. And so <laughs> Eddie then recruits her gay hairdresser to find them some men. Which is so brilliant. And I gotta say, I've I've never identified with Adina more than when she was paying gay men to sleep with her. Not that I've done that, but in a couple decades, I wouldn't put it past me to fuck that up so bad. Dude, that's Idris Elba. I know. That makes me love him so much more that young Idris Elba played a gay male prostitute in an episode of Absolutely Fabulous. No, it's so good. It's so good. But then when when they finally have the boys meet up with them in the house and they've got their outfits on and the mm-hmm. candles and the champagne and yeah. they're they're talking to the boys, Patsy will just say a sentence to them, like a complete sentence, even if it's something humiliating. And I love how Eddie's like, how do you do that? How, how do you talk to them? <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah. I definitely identify with Eddie in that respect. Okay, wait, which which character do you think you're most like? Oh, God. I don't know how to answer that. You can mix and match. I think I have the masculine streak of Patsy. I think you do, too. Not in the completely debauched and hardened and uncaring way. I see that. But... I think you give fewer fucks than the average bear. I think that's fair to say. <laughs> right? Yeah, but I definitely have the sense of right and wrong that Saffron does, which I think that neither of the other two leads have. True. I'm not exactly buttoned down and at home and judging everyone all the time, but mm-hmm. something that they talked about in in a documentary that you and I watched is that if Saffron were to stumble across Patsy, who is on fire, has OD'd, even though Patsy is terrible to Saffron, Saffron would call 911 and save her because that's the right thing to do. Sure. So, you know, maybe the the masculine tendencies of Patsy, but I do have a, a soul. moral compass. I do really love the relationship between Patsy and Saffy. As acrimonious and abusive as it is, it's really funny when there are those... Not, I wouldn't call it tender moments, but those moments of detente, like where she has to give Safi the makeover, and so she's pretending to be nice and saying please, and you can tell that it's just so difficult for her. And then yeah. when she, when Safi gives Patsy the breast exam, and of course, Mother walks by and is horrified and keeps walking. That's a great gag. I love that. I love that, too. <laughs> and then finishing it by, if you ever tell anybody about this, I'll kill you. I'll kill you. Cheers, thanks. <laughs> it's so good. But I don't know. Sometimes, man, even just when Eddie's talking about redoing her kitchen, I start to get anxiety. Like my palms start sweating and I yeah. go, no, 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 no. Uh-uh. I definitely identify with that aspect of Adina for sure. Just the tendency to get overwhelmed by the simplest little things. Not to the same degree that she does, but I think I'm I'm probably Safi more than anybody. But, uh, but with Patsy's taste in younger men. <laughs> Give me time. 
when I'm her age. Oof. She has that terrible line, which is so funny and it's so bad that I'm laughing about it, yes. but it's when they're going to go to Morocco. Oh, yes. And she mm-hmm. describes it as a place to get easygoing sex with gorgeous underage, underage youths. Youth. Yep, yep, yep. And we learn in the movie that she took John Hamm's virginity when he was 15. 15. And it's just... It's again the the sort of like carefree escapist nature of this world is that I'm not offended by like the child abuse that we witness or by these jokes about rape like everything everything just sort of seems like harmless it's sort of I don't know I feel like they can get away with saying these horrible things both because we recognize that the characters are horrible and because we know that it's not coming from a malicious place I think again oh. it just helps that it was written by women and it's being delivered by women there's not it's not just like perpetuating rape culture for the sake of haha you know there's a lot of horrible male driven stuff that definitely does that and i fucking wish that that shit would die no completely well there's she has a line adina says you know patsy dated keith moon Mm -hmm. and then patsy just says oh well i woke up underneath him once in a hotel room in so and so right and for a split second i go okay that's not fun that that's it's like that's not we're not allowed to say that no, I'm not it's allowed true. to say that anymore because we start thinking like, well, did you consent? Obviously, you didn't. You don't know what happened. Keith Moon, yeah. you know, took took advantage of you when you were probably an underage girl. But yeah, when it when it's written by a woman and delivered by a woman, it's yeah. like, and she's not traumatized by it. Just she's like not John Hamm. Well, it's debatable. He seems traumatized by it at first, but then they end up making out again. So of course they do. <laughs> Yeah, I do definitely want to talk about the movie because it's just perfection. But first, I wanted to talk about, do we think, besides Sex in the City, which is sort of a problematic comparison, are there other American equivalents, you think? Well, Sex in the City is an accidental equivalent because... Yeah. Aesthetically, I think. Yeah, and they, the... they because they don't know that they're horrible, yeah. I don't know. You know, I had, I had an idea, actually, of what is a tonal equivalent. And this may sound kind of stupid, but I honestly think that RuPaul's Drag Race is a contender for this even though it's a completely different format it's not fiction you know it's a reality competition there's very few women in it it's basically just michelle visage and whatever guest judge there is but the bright colorful cartoonish world and the escapism and the fact that it's sort of i'm going to use a phrase that that might be a little bit loaded but like humpty dumpty when i use a word it means what i mean it to mean so i think that it's kind of a safe space and what i mean by that is that it is a world that like i said before it was influenced by patriarchy and it could only have been built under the patriarchy, but it is untouched by patriarchy. And so you can use words like bitch and sissy, homo, queer, whatever, and say things that are maybe mildly transphobic taken out of context or say things that are racial stereotypes. And RuPaul can like make jokes about like being black or whatever. And everyone can make fun of Michelle for having fake tits and it doesn't feel objectifying or mean-spirited. Because it takes place in this sort of light and fun and frivolous and joyful world where nothing is taken seriously and everybody is fair game for for like it really is sort of equal opportunity offensive because there are no straight white men ruining it all and just shitting down on all these other people without ever taking anything back you know it's just kind of a world where everybody can be a little bit shitty and it doesn't seem to have any sort of real consequence you know what i mean no you make you make an excellent point which is yet another reason why i don't know why those two haven't been fucking guest stars i know well it's yeah it's just like it's a bubble that i want to live in where you can you know make cheeky jokes without having the you know pc police come and round you up for saying something that's a little bit off color because you know that it's not coming from a place of malice nothing here is done with a sneer and when it is, it's more like, 
making fun of the idea of beauty standards or whatever. It's not taking specific aim at groups of oppressed people. It's just we're all just we're all just people, man. Like, you know, this show is such a it has such a cult gay following. These characters and actresses are such gay icons. And there are a lot of weird lines that they walk with, like, Patsy maybe used to be a man and she's constantly mistaken for a man. And there's those trans hookers in New York who think that she's one of them. And it's really funny. And it doesn't seem like I mean, I don't know if it would be made today and if like the trans community would then freak out at, at how un PC it is. But I think that Again, it's just, it's all kind of done lovingly and also, it's like, to, to quote what Patsy says about the porn videos that she used to be in, it's all just cheeky fun. Yeah. It's harmless. I was thinking about that moment in New York as well when the, the trans prostitutes say hello to Patsy. It's the same thing happens to Samantha Jones when Samantha has those trans prostitutes yes. outside of her apartment, except Sex in the City takes it to a place where it's uncomfortable because deeply the prostitutes swarm around Patsy and they say, oh girl, you're looking good, blah, blah, blah. But Patsy just kind of keeps walking and looks confused. Yeah. Whereas Samantha starts going, oh girl, mm-mm, and yeah. snapping her well, fingers. She starts talking and- all like ghetto. And I think it also helps that like the trans prostitutes that Patsy talks to like, they're, at least some of them are white, right? It's not just all women of color. And there's that terrible thing where in the end, they get invited to party with these people because they have a perfectly fun life where they yeah, have yeah. rooftop barbecues all the time. And then Carrie also time. starts talking all, like, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, oh look at, yeah, look at like, these adorable rich white women who are just so cute and so endeared by the people of color in their community. Like, no, I hate, I hate that. That's actually a problem that I have with a lot of Sex in the City where it's like, everybody exists just for you yeah like all of the people of color with the exception of Blair Underwood like they're all just props to to prop up these white women's fabulous lives mm-hmm. and like obviously this is not a very diverse show either although you know Safi's husband and then daughter that's an exception but like England is also a much whiter place than New York fucking city. They do let the esthetician with the accent. Oh, yeah. She says what I wish that every person of color in Sex and the City would say. Like, you Totally, when she's like, oh, you, the white ladies, you're here because you've had such a long, hard day, haven't you? And you need to be pampered. Oh, mm-hmm. you're, you're fat woman. I yes. love that. I, I actually love when she calls a deal oh, fat. No, yeah, that is, that is very funny. Yeah, oh, no, she's great. Yeah. She's in a position of service, but she also makes some really, funny comments on it it's not just like she's not ennamored of her the way that everyone is fucking enamored of carrie bradshaw and co I what do the not fuck is that about dude it's such a stupid <laughs> okay can we talk about the movie now i love the movie so much i love the movie so much i think that this is the best example of a film adaptation of a television series ever part of what makes it work i i think that it can sometimes be very sad when you see people getting together for a reunion special because, oh, they're all older now. But since that was built into the show, I mean, you know, the actresses were pretty young when this started, but they were playing characters who were older and who were, again, so grotesque. And so it's really funny, you know, when you have an actress who, like, I think Jennifer Saunders was, like, maybe 33 or 35 or something. She was 34 and playing 40, which is... Which is awesome. great. But like, but then when you're finally old enough and, and you know, she's playing a 40-year-old who's trying to look like a 20-year-old and Joanna Lumley was 45, but she looked even older in a way because a lot of times when women are trying to look younger, they look older. And so yeah. it just makes it so perfect that then then they're in their 60s and it's it's oh, so yeah. funny. It's, it's not sad. It's like, oh, you always belonged at this age and now you've like fulfilled the promise of what you were always meant to be because it's so much funnier 
and and more accurate to see these women struggling to be like 40 years younger than they actually are instead of just 10. Yeah, no, it's, it's a built-in sort of insurance. <laughs> I would say that the only other example that I can think of of a really successful reboot that didn't just make me sad is the League of Gentlemen anniversary specials, which just aired last year, because that was also 20 years after, and, you know, they were all in their early 30s when the original series was filmed. But in many cases, they were playing characters who were 40, 50, 60, and so now they were finally able to, they, they were the right age to be playing these people, and that also, oh, yeah. kind of like the main characters on this show, that world is so grotesque, and there's such monstrous, overblown characters so it doesn't like adding age to that just makes it all the cooler and creepier yeah well this is another I mean I know we keep going back to sex in the city but it's just another huge example of how awesome something can be if you just let women be flawed in their appearance yes and that's not to say that there aren't plenty of moments in adfab the series where they look good where Adina does not have an outfit on that just makes her look like a clown (laughs) like there, there are moments where they look good yeah but it doesn't usually last long. They usually end up with the fucked up makeup face and the and the bad hair and bad outfit and sure. you know, Patsy lights herself on fire. But yeah, when when you have sex in the city, they've got a glob on the Vaseline yeah. on the lens, and it's like, no, that's that's a shame that we can't just sort of see that the characters are older. But when how they look is so important, that's when the reunions look sad. Is no, when, it's when very someone true. is aged. I also I wrote down that the AbFab movie is what the Sex and the City movie wishes it were. Oh, yeah. Except, I, I will quote my younger brother, when we were trying to find a day and time to see it with our moms. Yes. <laughs> when the first Sex and the City movie came out, late. my mom had my younger brother pull up the movie times, and Michael goes, it's longer than there will be blood. <laughs> It's like, why? Why did it have to be so long? Whereas the AbFab movie is like, I kind of wish that it were 15 minutes longer Oh, I know. Because it's like, what? It's like 90 minutes. It's so, it's so short and sweet, but it also doesn't feel too short because they packed so much into it. Like, I feel like they managed to put more and better celebrity cameos and plot points into that than they did in the two and a half hours of Sex and the City. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm saying. It's yeah. such a it's such a perfect movie. Um, what are your what are some highlights for you? Obviously, John Hamm, dude. I kind of really really love when anyone who is successful and attractive agrees to do something silly. Oh yeah, and that man. If you didn't already love him, I mean, he had already done that with his myriad SNL appearances and when he did his Thirty Rock stint and mm-hmm. being interviewed on Between Two Ferns. But again, I love that he was in a project that was you know written by, directed by, and starring older women and that he you know got to have that weird scene with Patsy where she was the seducer and she was the aggressor and the sexy one the sexy one is in quotes but they do end up you know making out get it Pats but I I love him so much for doing that and Robert Webb is the sweetest boyfriend I I I don't I don't like cops but if Robert Webb were a cop who wanted to date me I would date that cop I mean there are good cops and also cops in the UK they don't carry guns so they're not murdering people at the same rate that they are here that's fine you know what i hadn't thought of that whoa yeah whoa no i know you can you can find move me to... a british cop 
Mm. <laughs> yeah, no. Oh, Robert Webb. Oh, that was I was so delighted to see him and also to see Mark Gatiss. Those were two like I actually gasped in the theater when I saw those and like grabbed my sister's hand for both of those. It made me so happy. And I'm glad that Safi finally has like a sweet man who will cherish her the way that she deserves to be loved. Who isn't like, a polygamist and lives yeah, in the same country. I know. Yeah. Oh, get it, Safi. You've you've earned your happy ending to your fairy tale. I couldn't be more pleased for you. Are you sexing that little rodent? Oh, speaking of Safi, I think maybe my favorite moment of the entire movie, the, my biggest laugh when I saw it in theaters, is when she is at the drag club and she starts singing the karaoke at 17 that made me and laugh so cry. hard watching them all come around to being on her side and all singing along and, and getting all teary-eyed and misty that was fucking fantastic but also this this confirms that i am sappy because at 17 is one of my top three go-to shower songs in my rotation so that shower songs oh What's yeah a showers a song oh, oh, oh that you sing, sing in the shower, in the shower. I think that one of my favorite lines in the movie is when Adina has already accidentally pushed Kate Moss off of a ledge and she's fallen into the Thames and no one can find her. I, I love when she and Patsy are back at the house and the house has never looked better than mm-hmm. it does in this movie. But they're they're in that room with the pool and all of the lanterns floating on the water mm. and there's pillows and it's very, I want to live there. Totally. But Patsy's trying to be a good friend and trying to say, oh, everybody will get over it. People forget things. Mm-hmm. And she says, look at lovely Hugh. He <laughs> unzipped his chinos for a prosy blowjob and we forgave him. Probably loved him a little bit more after that. <laughs> like, I love that so much. And I especially love it now that she played his agent in Paddington too. <laughs> You're right. Yes. Doesn't that make it even better? <laughs> no that was so good oh and another sex in the city comparison is that for all of the the fat shaming that all of the characters in this do in the show in the movie patsy's actually very kind there's like an identical moment that's like the right way to do it and then the wrong way to do it in the sex in the city movie where in in sex in the city samantha I'm using air quotes, puts on some weight, but really she hasn't actually put on any weight. They just put her in a slightly unflattering costume where she's got the teeniest little tummy bulge, which for a woman of 50 is totally expected or for a woman of like anything past puberty is totally expected. Yeah. But they all immediately then fat shame her and and say like, oh my God, I can't believe that you let yourself go like this. And then she said, well, I didn't even notice. And then they're like, I say this with love. How could you not notice? And then there's like the stupid fucking Carrie voiceover that's like, we were the mirror that Samantha couldn't escape. But then in this movie when Eddie's fat shaming herself and says oh I think I'm officially fatter sideways than front to back then Patsy says let me be like I'll be your mirror and she says how do I look and she says fabulous and like that's such a beautiful I fucking love their friendship that is so sweet I love that moment too it's the right way to do it however in the episode fat it's kind of like the opposite side of the same coin Mm -hmm. Patsy is still the very supportive friend that we see in the movie, except she's like, I'm going to help you get thin if it if it kills us both. Yes. Because you've been a damn good friend to me. And, mm-hmm. you know, so in- instead of saying you're beautiful the way you are, she's mm-hmm. like, oh, this is what my friend wants. So I'm going to call my surgeon and we're going to we're going to make it happen. Yeah. So I like that the, the, the love has always been there. But in the movie, it's in a way that I personally find more preferable and palatable. Yeah. You know yeah. what? <laughs> there's I'm going to quote Merrily We Roll Along again and there's a song called Old Friends and then in in the bridge it says good friends like and advise whereas old friends love and forgive. And like they, they've obviously they were old friends at the start of the series but you know she's trying to help her fix herself but in this case it's like 
you know, Eddie's never going to lose the weight at this point. It's just nicer to let her accept herself and love herself and to be there for her. Yeah. No, that the movie's lovely. It makes me kind of have a soft spot for Kate Moss. Oh, sure. And I watched an interview where Jennifer Saunders talks about how she had just written the script with the Kate Moss plot Mm -hmm. and then everything else was cast and ready to go and they realized, oh, we've not yet asked Kate Moss if she's actually going to do this. (laughs) But but she just went, oh yeah, sure. Like with, with really hardly that much notice at all. That's great. Another thing that I really love about this movie it goes back to something that you said about the female characters in faulty towers and how they're funny like how women are funny and this came out this was also the summer of the female ghostbusters mm-hmm. and that was getting so much attention i'm very glad that it happened i enjoyed it very much i thought that it was fun and enjoyable and there were some really great moments in it but at the same time It was getting all of this attention for being this groundbreaking, like, look, guys, women can be funny. But, you know, it was also directed by a man. It was co-written by a man. It had a female cast, but there was also a man on the poster. So, like, he was the fifth, you know, most important person. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe he even got paid more than the other actresses. But anyway. Uh, Chris Hemsworth, right? (laughs) Oh, oh, yes. Oh, it all comes back to Chris. Mm, Not mad about it. But anyway. I didn't know that you were into Chris. I didn't know I was either. (laughs) This this podcast has brought out a lot of surprises in me. Now, he's very cute. Have you ever seen pictures of him holding his baby? No. It looks like he's just holding a burrito because those hands. That's funny. I'm not anyway. actually really that into Chris Howard. I mean, he's he's very attractive. But anyway, the other thing is that it's also, it's always going to be only the female version of something that is very much a male thing. Like, you need mm-hmm. to specify if you're talking about Ghostbusters that you don't mean the original, you mean the remake. Whereas Absolutely Fabulous is something that could only be created by women. It has a completely distinct female voice. And I just love that, you know, you still don't even see female directors and writers. Like, usually... When I see a movie, I will watch the credits. I will stay to the very end of the credits. Thank you very much. And, uh, and like, count how many, like, how long I have to wait before I see a female name at the top. It's like, okay, mm. there's the director, there's the screenwriters, there's the executive producers. And usually it's, like, several down. Like, maybe there'll be, like, one out of the first seven or ten credits. And with this, it was the opposite. It was, like, how long do I have to wait to see a male name? And that was very refreshing and cool. Yeah, no, f- funny, funny how women are funny. I love, um... The reason why, well, they have to flee the country because they think that they've killed Kate Moss and Bubble, and (laughs) they decide to find an old flame of patsies who's very rich so that they can live, you know, away forever Mm -hmm. and they don't have to work and they'll be, they'll be set up. Yeah. I love when they go find him and he's just partying with all these like young models. I know, so disgusting. And he's no longer interested in Patsy. And he says, stay away from the jacuzzi. It's a smoothie of old sperm. Yes, that's a really. line, but it's so funny yeah that's kind of the only instance of misogyny in this world is like it's it's wrapped up in ageism and that's that's like a a thread that runs throughout the whole series is these women who are constantly trying to look younger and it all goes back to you know a fear of death and irrelevance and obscurity that i think we all have but i think especially women because we're taught that our value completely expires at age 30 or 40 or whatever whatever it is i think that we keep pushing the deadline back for ourselves there's that great moment in the birthday episode where eddie's turning 40 and Bo says oh i've embraced aging it's all good and then and then mother says and when will you be turning 50 and she goes and you know we all have that we're we're you and i are past the 30 mark but we were terrified of it before it happened and 
now the next thing that's scaring me is 40. You know what? I started to accept 30 when I was 29. Yeah, I did too when I was 29. And then I turned 30. Yeah. And a month later, I got very upset. I was fine with being 30, but then I was like, oh shit, next year I'm going to be 31. And then I'm going to be in my 30s. And then it's going to be less and less. I don't know. It's it's all very silly and very arbitrary and deeply sexist for us to even be no, worrying about is. this. But, you know, on a personal level, I wasn't worried about, you know, reaching my maturation date or my sell-by date or anything like that. Oh, I'm never going to reach my maturation date. (laughs) Right. I kind of thought, oh, right, we're all going to die. Yeah. I thought, oh, I'm going to turn 40 next, and then I'm going to have to start getting fucking mammograms and asking my OB about ovarian cancer and taking calcium, and everything's just going to be south from there. That was kind of more my freak out was... You know, more mortality, more more so yeah, than attractiveness. Decline. Yeah, I'm I'm more afraid of back pain when I have it than when I find a new gray hair because that doesn't really no. affect me. And Totes. unlike you know Eddie and Patsy who are in PR and the fashion industry, I'm not looking to have a career hopefully in a in an arena where my looks will matter. So that's there's you know lower stakes for me certainly. But yeah, we're we're all I think we're all afraid of death and we all handle it to varying degrees of success and it's very funny to see how these characters neuroses present themselves and how they try to fight the clock by injecting poison into their faces and uh just partying (laughs) nonstop. i know i've mentioned fat a couple times but i love when she's on the phone with her doctor in the beginning asking for diet pills Mm -hmm. and she's quiet on her end and then she screams i want them to kill me yes I love in in all of her obsessions. I'm like this was so ahead of its time. She fucking predicted like goop all of this, <laughs> you know, she's you know when she's like cancel my osteopath, my naturopath, yes. cancel my, you know, this and that, yeah, my yeah. the the shiatsu and see if I can be rebirthed next Thursday. Like it's so true as far as the, you know, the pseudoscience and the pseudo spirituality Mm -hmm. and the obsession with being cleansed and if I do this I'll be cleansed and there won't be toxins like no one can tell me what these toxins are that are allegedly in my body because I ate meat the worst job that I ever had I was a receptionist or I, I was paid like a receptionist but really I was an office manager and it was for this really horrible Soho based design company very upscale there were about 40 or 50 people it was all women except for like four or five people And yeah, they were always going on these cleanses. And I'm like, you're not eating food for a week? Like, what? And then the the episode magazine really reminded me of that. Because that, when when they're talking about like, oh, I'll, I'll need to go to the Caribbean for two weeks for this photo shoot. It's like, this was a job where, you know, I was the only person who wore flats and didn't have fancy fashions. I was also like... At 120 pounds, I was maybe the third or fourth fattest girl in the office, so that should tell you, like, what sort of place I was in. And uh, and they, you know, they refused my request for a $1 an hour raise, because, like, that was too much. I was also not allowed to go out on lunch breaks, so I was basically starving the entire time that I was there. Whoa. But meanwhile, they would have, like, these, you know, $1,000 lunches that the company would pay for, and, like, the design team would go on these exotic, fabulous trips to Paris and Thailand, and then they would come back and, like, design fucking polka dots. You know what I mean? Like, we need to go abroad for inspiration and just live these <laughs> fabulous lives, but, like, it's complete. Like, you don't actually do any fucking work. It's 
it's that just that hit the nail on the head for me so hard that's really funny because i know that we were talking the other week about the met gala when you <laughs> sent me that incredible picture of sarah jessica parker with the nativity scene on her head <laughs> Like, I feel like that could be straight out of AbFab. Like, oh, Magda absolutely. could say it or someone could say it and it would be a huge laugh. <laughs> yeah, no. Real fashion is just as ridiculous. I mean, this is this is one of those things where it's like a parody, but it's also just completely true. It's kind of like how The Onion and, and current news, like, guess which one it is. You don't fucking know because the lines are getting ever more blurred and it's terrifying. But in the context yeah. of AbFab and fashion, it's quite delightful and not scary. I, I do kind of have to give... Sex in the City credit for the one time they made fun of Carrie's fashion, which was when they asked her after her wedding, what was that that was on your head? Yes, it was, <laughs> it was a bird. bird. <laughs> God, I, I, it, it was so funny when you said Mr. Big and I heard Mr. Big. <laughs> oh my God, oh my God, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Carrie freaking out about how Mr. Bean is so distant and so hard to read and so uninterested in her. Dude, Mr. Bean kind of treats his girlfriend the way Mr. Bean I treats know, Carrie. I know, I know. All men are the same, you guys. <laughs> oh my fucking god. Oh my god. Dude. I'm so fucking lootly. <laughs> oh my god. The sad thing is, I'm asking myself, like, okay, as Kaylee's friend... Would I be more horrified if she ended up with a Mr. Big or a Mr. Bean? I don't have an answer right now. Here's what I'll say. They're both equally emotionally distant and terrible, but Mr. Big is rich. So I could just be like, I could divorce him and get some of that sweet Eddie Monsoon alimony and live in a fabulous house. God, we're such manipulative vacuous and material obsessed women, aren't we? I ain't saying I'm a gold digger. But I ain't messing with Mr. Bean. <laughs> that was really funny. <laughs> Thank you, darling. <laughs> I did not look to see if there was porn. I just realized that. I never did it. Should I do it now? Oh, yeah. Do it now. Okay. Here's the thing. I think that because this is a property that is so... It really is the domain of women and gay men. I can't imagine... Because most porn is created for straight men. And then the gay porn would probably just have men in it. I can't imagine that there's an app fab porn. Okay, dude. So the second hit is Pornhub. <gasps> you guys, this is so thrilling. This is the first success moment and it's happening. Not live because we're obviously airing this later, but ooh, Stephanie's making some interesting faces. What's up? There is a straight white couple having sex, but I doubt this is... Let me look a little further down. While you look, I'm going to brainstorm about what a good ab fab porn would look like. I think obviously Eddie and Patsy have to hook up because their whole vibe, like they, I mean, they did, there is an episode where they get married and they're already basically life partners. They might as well. Yeah. You know what? I think that for whatever reason, there just happened to be a porn video titled Absolutely Fabulous. Oh, you know, it's like, I'm thinking ahead to other shows that we might look up porn for and like, we're never going to find any The Office porn because it's just going to be people fucking in an office or Peep Show. That's another... I mean, I would want to see Peep Show porn so bad, but it's just going to be like, that's already a sex term, so. Oh, I know. It's Alas. it's difficult to type Peep Show into anything. Oh, yeah. Tompy. Anyway, that All was right. fun. <laughs> I have cleared my history because you know what? This is a brand new computer and I don't want to like... You've got to cleanse it. You've got to get rid of all the toxins in your search yes, history. <laughs> I know. Yeah. This show, it, it really does seem so ahead of its time in so many different ways. Not only because of the people behind the camera and the people in front of the camera, but 
the the themes which are so stupid and simple but even just you know like i said it's like pre-goop well yeah there's always been like we said people who are just searching for the latest trends to make life a little bit less painful and monotonous eddie is always looking for the thing that's going to fix her and whether it's chanting or meditations or aromatherapy or massage it nothing's ever going to actually work just just living and being a human being is very hard and we say this as incredibly privileged people, and probably also anybody who's listening, I obviously don't know what your exact situation is, but if you have access to a smartphone or a computer and you're allowed to, you're in a country that enables you to listen to this, which means that you have the freedom to access uncensored content and information, not to mention the luxury of time to devote to something that you find enjoyable, uh, we're all very lucky. And, and yet even we, if we don't have real life-threatening problems, we will invent problems for ourselves or we will you know we just we just sort of all need to distract ourselves from the depressing inevitability of our own demise you know i don't mean to take it back here after we were already there for blackadder last week but like <laughs> but but it is that is sort of what it all comes down to i think is that they're they want to be young forever because they don't want to die except we know that patsy's just never going to die we do know that and that's another thing you know, you were saying in the Faulty Towers episode about how grateful you are that there were only those 12 episodes. It's like, I want more Faulty Towers, but I'm so glad there's not a single bad episode of Faulty Towers. In this case, it's kind of the opposite. I'm so glad that they kept going and that they keep reviving it every so often. And they may not even be done yet, even though they capped it off with that fabulous movie that I'm so, it was so perfect and it would be a great end. But I would also be totally glad if they came back in another five or 10 years and did something that was maybe not as great or maybe something that's going to surprise us and be even greater. It's yeah. the same thing with what I said last week about uh, about Blackadder back and forth, how even though it would have been perfect to end on the note of Blackadder goes forth, it's nice that, you know, these these people, that this cast can still get together because they're all alive and why not? And there, it, more is always better when it comes to things that you love. Completely true. Yeah. And I'm, I, I can't wait for whatever the next installment of Absolutely Fabulous is. And I know that all of the people involved in it also can't wait because they all feel deeply proud and grateful to be part of this it's it's been really really cool going back and watching all of these shows that are that are older and just kind of seeing how things don't change like when I was watching the young ones and we have Rick who is this like I called him a, a hipster millennial and it's mm -hmm. it's true and you know people say people are too damn sensitive these days these liberals these libtards everything's PC PC but right. Rick is offended by everything and very mm -hmm. loud about everything. And it just shows you that we've been making jokes about overly sensitive, and I'm using quotes, we're making yeah. jokes about sensitive people for years. Sure. And every generation probably thinks we're the most progressive or we're the most sensitive. But no, they're making jokes about PC culture in, in the 80s. And there are jokes about PC culture in, in AbFab. And there's these jokes about the next health trend, mm -hmm. but they've been... You know, people are recycling. Everything just gets, you know, rehashed. Yeah. And it's kind of comforting me a little bit to go, okay, we've always been freaked out about PC culture and the PC police, and we've always been trying to avoid exercising. Yes. And yeah, it's it's been it's been really kind of nice. Yeah, no, truth in comedy, man. The the really great stuff that lasts is timeless because it's just well observed human behavior and people don't change that much. 
which is why next week we're discussing Benny Hill to take a break from all of this. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. And Eddie makes some really fun, like, like we said, she she gets very overwhelmed, but she does make some sort of funny observations that I don't entirely disagree with. Like there's that great rant at the end of Poor where she talks about how complicated life is and and like, oh, everything has to be like paperwork and there's too many laws. And like she's wrong in a lot of ways, but she's also kind of right too. Like, in, modern life is so much more complicated than it needs to be in some ways and we should just be able to live our lives with freedom <laughs> to some degree mm-hmm. yeah. oh, she's, she's wonderful I, I deeply love Adina toward the end of season 3 when they're having their breakdown in the bathroom mm. fucking Patsy this was the most rock and roll like amazing thing because we talk about how she's afraid of dying she wants to be young this mm-hmm. and that she says, I just want people to be scared of me. <laughs> and that is what I relate to the most when it comes to Patsy. I said the masculine side, oh, but yeah. I think that's what it is. I just want people to be scared of me and to look at me and go, oh, fabulous. Oh, it's like, that's yeah. so funny. Oh, man. That's so, it. So maybe you're Patsy and I'm Adina because you want people to fear you and I just want people to love me. That's all anybody wants, really. Yours is just sort of coming through a more terrified lens. Oh, no, of, of course she does, too. And I think she says it in, in that rant as well. She's talking about wanting to put herself out there, but she hasn't really hit the big time as yeah. big as she wants, yeah. and they're having their little crisis yeah. of, of confidence. Right. But I love that, and it's not just because I think, oh, yeah, I relate to that, but yeah. it's like she doesn't just want to be popular she wants to be powerful and she wants to have an impact and she wants it to be dramatic and exciting when she walks into a room and male stars and male idols get to get to really have that they walk into a room and ooh James Dean and ooh Elvis and Mm -hmm. there's always just kind of maybe not always but oftentimes with a male famous person there's an air of, of danger and excitement but with a woman it's like oh she's so fucking hot yeah you know, that that's really the reaction that a, quote, perfectly put together woman is going to, you know, in- inspire in people. But I love that this is something different. I just want people to be scared of me. Yeah. that That's something that women don't get to really have on people. And if they do, it's like, oh, she's a bitch. She scares me. She reminds me of my mom. She yells too much. Oh but my that's God. not what Patsy wants. She wants yeah. something different. She wants to be seen as this fabulous person yeah and, and who who happens to be a really beautiful woman that and I think yeah. that's something that I don't know maybe we we're all kind of struggling with in a in a way yeah. is like how do I get people to love and respect me for being a woman but, but it's also not the first thing they think no I completely understand what you're saying this relates to something that we were saying earlier about how the default books that we read as children are through the point of view of straight white men and how because of that they can talk about serious themes that aren't you know oppression or like the the specific experience of what it means to be like african-american or what it means to be a woman there's specific problems that oppressed groups all have to deal with and a lot of fiction that deals with that it tends to you know cover that because otherwise why have a character be female or trans or, or black or what have you which I think is a bullshit thing to ask but I think that that's why we see straight white male as just the default but in those books they're allowed to grapple with the bigger questions and I think that's why they're considered important is that they have the luxury by not being oppressed they can think about the big themes of life and their their desire is not to 
get married to a man of good status so that they won't die in impoverished obscurity, but so they can make an impact on the world. And I think that that's what, you know, once we've had our basic physiological needs met, that is what we all want. And I think that it is really cool that Patsy does get to express that because that's, I definitely want to make an impact and I don't want people to be looking at me as just a sex object or to just see like, oh, you're a female blank. Right. Why can't I just be a blank? Oh, I hate that. Yeah. I hate that. These women are just people and their femaleness isn't the point. She doesn't need to say, I want to prove myself in a man's world. She just wants to have a life that is meaningful. And it's interesting because... Obviously, they also are driven by their hedonism, and they live a sort of frivolous lifestyle, and it's sort of like, you know, girls just want to have fun, but you, it's nice to get to see that other side, that they want to have fun, but they also want to do something that they find meaningful, and maybe yeah. in her eyes, what what she finds meaningful isn't what most people would think of as, as meaningful or having a real impact, but... But yeah, I I definitely, when I think about what I want for my own life and and dispense with the specifics, I want to have fun and do something that is meaningful. That's Those are really the two big goals of most people, I think. Because again, once you dispense with all of the other things, like it's obviously not fun if you're being oppressed or, or struggling to find health insurance or a job. Once you take care of having those basic needs met, then yeah, you want to do something you love and, and have fun and make an impact. Yeah. Well, speaking of being able to do something we love and have fun, this will actually conclude our very first season of the show. Do we want to mention that? Yeah. Thank you guys so much for going on this crazy journey with us. I hope that you have had as good a time as we've had watching these shows and hearing us talking about them. Uh, It's been such a joy to rediscover all of these childhood favorites and watch them with fresh adult eyes. So yeah, this is the end of our first season. We're taking a page from all of the British shows that we love and stopping after six to give ourselves a nice healthy little break to focus on some other things. But we will be back after a hiatus, the length of which is yet to be determined. Uh, Watch our social media spaces for more information and updates about that. So at whatever point that is, join us next season for something completely different. Yes, friends, we are going to be tackling Monty Python, the whole fucking canon. We're talking Flying Circus. We're talking Holy Grail. We're talking Life of Brian. We're talking Meaning of Life. So if you haven't seen that, or if you haven't seen it in a while, hide thee to the internet and uh, and brush up your Python. Brush up your Python. <laughs> oh, man, I can't <laughs> wait to discuss what kind of porn is out there for that. There might actually be some. I mean, oh my goodness. Castle Anthrax, we'll talk about that next season. In the meantime, from the bottom of my heart, to quote the immortal Patsy Stone, cheers, thanks a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to Anglophilia on iTunes. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Anglopodcast. Toodle pip. What'd you call me?